Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the holy prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end, in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. For years on end, he endures such hardship and suffering as increase from day to day, enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships, which are beyond a pretender and impostor to suffer through. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Hello and welcome. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. You have joined us for another edition of Saturday Morning Live. My name is Usman, but with me in the studio I have my two dear friends, Mudabur Khalid and Shams Najam. And as always, this is a live and interactive show in which the first hour we'll be talking about different news headlines that caught our eye and then we're moving on to our topic of the day, which is, uh, what's the best way to explain it, guys? Because I'm totally... Uh, What's that, the second hour? Yeah. Second hour, just basically talking about finance and <laughs> financial debt. issues, yeah. why people get into debt, uh, re- ways to get out of debt, what Islam says about debt. That's, that's what Living gonna, within one's means. That's yeah. that's what we're going to be talking about. And like we said, it is a live and interactive show. It's your show. We want you to be part of the conversation. So do call us 0208-687-7878. That's 0208 0208- Six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or you can contact us via any of our socials online at Voice of Islam UK. So I guess I'll start off by just asking you, gentlemen, how you are, how's things, how's the week been? Week's been all right for me. Um, it's just a daily grind, basically, and it just uh, working, family, Jamaat, our community. We've got uh, our national. Uh, annual event coming up next weekend so yeah. Um, yeah there's a lot of preparation for that we're going up to the site setting it up I think the the ladies um, event is this, this today and tomorrow um, so we have to do a lot of preparation for that but yeah Alhamdulillah well praise God it's been alright um, yeah um, you know again it's been uh, just somewhat preparing I suppose for the next few weeks ahead but yeah it's been been a good week I think I mentioned last time that um, my son has started, uh, or at the time it was, you know, due to start reception, and so now he started reception. So, um, so you got a lot more times in your hand. Uh, not really. Not relaxed. 
Not really, but it's just interesting because um, it, it, it's it's interesting to see how quickly, literally within a few days, yeah, how how they develop uh, yep. of starting. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure most parents will agree with this um, of starting sort of full time education receptions. Is that they're, they're all, all of a sudden speaking a lot more? What's the first thing you know? Is it talking? Yeah, no. As in, like, he's obviously he, he. Well, he's he's four years old, going on to five. Hence, why he's starting full time education, and he's been talking for a while. But these first few days, I don't know whether there's because there's an excitement that there's a change, yeah. um, and they're meeting new people, and they're now in sort of a bigger school than they were before, which is nurseries and preschool and whatever. But yeah. just all of a sudden, you know, they they start talking more, yeah. <laughs> asking more questions. They're obviously excited by sort of the kids around them, so it's just interesting to see that sort of stage or phase in his uh, in his development. Um, and now you can't wait to drop him off in the mornings. <laughs> I can't, yeah. I was actually going to ask that. Like, how's it been for you and your your wife with regards to like two you got two out of three kids are now out of the house? Like, do you feel no, it's a bit quieter? No, I mean, uh, my 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 other son he's still only two so he only goes like like part-time okay um but yeah with with my oldest now going full-time but i I think i think in answer to your question how do we feel we feel a sense of responsibility actually um we we we're starting to recognize actually even though he's still so young that it's now that you know we need to try and instill certain values in him give him confidence to make sure he has the ability to make the right decisions has enough strength to to say no to what you know goes against his values and beliefs and especially in the sort of society we live in today this free for all world um we need to somehow ground him and that's very difficult to do because and i suppose we'll, we'll speak about it a little bit later in the in the debt and the financial means sort of discussion everything's available at your fingertips and so you know this concept of keeping up with the joneses he's obviously going to be growing up looking around seeing other people have and do x y and z uh which may entice him but you know as as muslims we have to try and keep him grounded and let him have the understanding of what what is permissible what isn't what the rules and sort of boundaries are so in answer to most questions we kind of see it as a challenge which is a little bit it's a little bit scary because um, I don't think any parent thinks that they're sort of the perfect parents. They know their own sort of weaknesses and it's it not easy to sort it's, of... It's interesting because, you know, obviously our parents migrated here. Yeah. And growing up, I always had as a child, I don't know, you guys probably had it as well, that our parents don't really understand. Hmm. Because obviously... Our parents hated me. I thought. Yeah, not in terms of... I know they no, didn't. No, I knew like every parent loves their child, but I'm saying in terms of like what you go through in school, the society, language barriers. Yeah. yeah. I always thought, do you know what? Parents don't really know. And that was naive of me. Parents do know. Obviously, yeah. every country, the issues are the same. Um, they just present themselves in different ways. But I always thought, and I don't know, you, you might be, we all might be able to relate because we're parents, is that because we were born and raised here, aware of the issues obviously they probably have taken new forms now with each generation they take new forms but it would have been easier to tackle or at least communicate with our children uh, and I think that's so important like you know as a, par- as a parent who just cares about how was your day what did you learn today is everything okay um, that goes a long way I feel I think that's certainly true I think um, I, I, I'm with Mo like we you know, you probably at some point think, why doesn't why don't my parents understand this why or get this? Ideas, yeah. But actually, if you actually think about it, it was such an unfair period where they moved across from uh, a country where they were they were likely 
I say likely, they, you know, there's a lot of poverty. Um, they moved over to this completely new culture. But actually, that's the period where even this culture has changed yeah. the most it's ever changed in history, yeah. right? Yeah. So not only have they come into this culture in the 80s or 90s, but then from like the 90s to now, the advancement in technology, phones and yeah. social media, which yeah. wasn't even here for this society, let alone the society our parents come from, they were bound to get lost in the translation of these things, right? They, it was It was inevitable because... Even we don't completely understand how our kids are so... Um, I, say, I speak for myself, like, the way, the ability the kids have to use social media, what they can do on these things, it's even new for us. So even I feel like there will be, even though, like, as you said, like, I'm, I'm born here, I feel like I understand the system, I feel like I understand the culture, the ills of the society, but... Over, even over the last 10 years, like, there's been so many more things that have come into this society. I mean, one of them has been, you know, these this identity crisis that we feel, you know, we yeah. can see that our youth are going through or that people are going through. I won't completely understand that because I never had that. I never went through that. So there'll even be a generational gap between me and my kids, which I'll try and keep to a minimum as much, but I can completely see why there was a gap between our parents and us because it was worlds apart. Do you think that like from from our parents' point of view, maybe they weren't as involved? And I don't know whether they that was just the way that they were. I think I feel like every parent will probably practice their parenting from their experiences. So yeah, from their own perception. From their own perception. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. for example, if, um, just for argument's sake, my father was disciplined very harshly by his, my, by my grandfather, mm. then my dad would just think that's normal. Like, mm. okay, I've got to pass that on. Mm. Yeah. So, keep, keeping that example in mind, I'm just saying, not that I was, but <laughs> I don't want no one calling me, just <laughs> paying me respect and feeling sorry <laughs> for me. My dad was very nice. But um, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that, do you feel that where there was a lack of kind of interaction in terms of, How's things going at school? What are your issues? To now us thinking, or oh, maybe because we didn't get that, I don't want to give that to our children. And now we're maybe on the other end of the extreme of too involved. Possibly, I think. I think, I, I, I think there is a risk of that. Yeah. Yeah. Po- possibly, I think. I think there is definitely the. You know. Uh, it's because uh, you don't know the healthy balance of it. Mm. Yeah. Because you haven't experienced it. I'm not talking for us, but I'm saying if that was the case, you wouldn't know the healthy balance for it. So you might naturally yeah, yeah, overcompensate by being the opposite, by maybe being too involved. So I think it's going to take a very conscious effort to think, okay, let me not push my son or, or son or daughter away. Let me just try and keep a healthy balance of, you know, being a father, but also being a friend. The position that I can speak from, at least, from what I can see within my family, my extended family, my friends, the idea or the the main um, task that parents had in first gen that, that the first generation that sort of moved into this country was to try and secure yourself financially, just work, yeah. work, 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 yeah, yeah. and get the kids into school. These were the two things that they only un- they understood. That was it, yeah, yeah. right? It was we need to provide, and we come from traditional values yeah. where the male has to go out and has to provide, and the females, you know, look after the kids. Um, and, and and that's the values we come from and that's what I see as I said from my circle and from even the wider circle that I know that th- those were the aims get get the kids into school and get them a good education because we may not have had that in Pakistan and so or, or, yeah. or whichever country they come from so we need to make sure our kids do it and then the other thing is we need to earn earn, earn money so that the, the, the you know family can continue to survive or whatever so that but now 
it's so much deeper than that. So where you say, yeah. do you think we overcompensate? But actually, you know, we've been guided by His Holiness, uh, the fifth Khalif, Khalif uh, of Islam, Ahmadiyya, that you actually you, you need to have a strong relationship with your kids. Um, and I, and Yeah, you and have a friendship relationship. You have to be and, I th- and I think that's even more important in this day and age where I've said previously, and this also comes from the guidance His Holiness gives, is where there is an identity crisis, where kids are, um, you know, being... What, what, where I said like you know there's this free for all where kids need that guidance so I think where we may not have necessarily got that from our parents um, that, that that closeness as a friend we obviously had it as family as parents but I think now it's you need to be friends with your children you need to be so close to them that they can turn to you and speak to you and all of that So I think one thing I've um, again you'd only experience this and understand this once you become a parent because I obviously have heard this before I became a parent but it was like, what can make you a true believer is when you have a child. It's because you realize that there'll come a stage in this child's life where you're, you can't protect them and you're not always there for them. You can't always oversee them. And that's when you're solely going to rely on a higher power or being God to, to assist. So that for me has been a real kind of eye opener um, in the terms of, you're right, we... You're right. We probably do have an advantage compared to our parents in the fact that we're born and raised in the same kind of environment that our children are now being born and raised in. But I truly understand the beauty of, for example, this one teaching that at the age of seven, start encouraging your child to pray. And at the age of 10, be a bit more firm in your approach. Like I never really used to understand that before in the sense that I obviously understood it in terms of a habit. But if you look at it from a life skill point of view and as a Muslim that ultimately if you put God first and that's what we're trying to instill into our children put God first then no matter what you go through what hurdles present themselves you'll be okay and you won't have these crises wherever it, I mean going through a difficult patch in terms of financially uh, it could be in school you may be getting picked on whatever it may be you will definitely go through difficulties but if you know that the solution involves the first step being praying showing patience then ultimately you'll make the right steps to resolve your issues and um, I know listeners may be thinking obviously you're going to say that this is voice of Islam but I feel until you don't put these things into practice you won't realize because a lot of people in their further lives then start meditation yoga something just to cut themselves off uh, to think about something else and here we're, what we're putting into our children's practices is look five times a day we've got to turn to our creator uh, connect with our God I think for me that's like when I became a parent just before actually when I knew that I was going to be a parent for me that was like the biggest thing I was like I need to be the closest I can be to God because mm. my son or my daughter is going to see that and um, children learn a lot more from seeing than they do from hearing can I also just say you've been a dad for like two minutes yeah. <laughs> right. last time we, last time what difference does show. that make bro? no 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 it's just it's you just so, obviously yeah. affected you that much but I last thought, time we were on no, the no, show it's, you it's, you it's because parent, you um, realise so for example it's obviously impacted you a lot the, yeah how much it impacts your life because I was married for a number of years yeah. and it was just me and my missus so life was just about me and my missus mm. like sleep eat what we're eating how we're living we're just concerned about each other all of a sudden now there's a baby involved and everything is now centered around that baby mm-hmm. so it, you, I always think like it's every time I hold my daughter I think it's obviously I love this child 
and there's an element of okay well one day I'm going to have to let her go mm. and um, I can't be in a position where I put this my love for this child above God's yeah. my love mm. for God because ultimately it's my trust and love in God that's going to enable me to know that she'll be okay mm. whatever she goes through you know, you know what that's such a powerful statement because as parents naturally uh, you you will you have this nervousness about your children in the sense that you're like are they going to hurt themselves are they going to do this yeah. is this yeah. going to happen what about this and now I'm dropping them off in school and now this is going to happen and and I guess the point I'm trying to make is that when you have an understanding or belief that actually God is the one who's going to because kids look when we were kids we probably f- feel the same when you're when you're a kid you don't you don't you don't know you're a kid you think you're untouchable you yeah. think you can do whatever you want you don't recognize the vulnerabilities that surra- that you know you are sur- you're around you don't recognize your own vulnerabilities right and i can say the same thing with with sort of my kids particularly my sort of 2 year old he thinks he can take on his take on the world but he's 2 but when you when you look at him and actually you know this might be w- weird saying it but like you know as or as a father when I, when I when I stand back and look and I can just see the dangers around him this is why we have a belief in God because we don't see our own dangers around us I can see the danger just like God can see the dangers around us I can see the dangers around him but he will ne- never ever re- now when I say dangers I just mean falling on the floor or yeah. you know losing a car or something yeah, yeah, yeah. you know but they're, they're, they're sort of nothing compared to sort of what um, real life is but what I mean is that I can see as his as his father I can see how vulnerable he is but he doesn't he can't see that and I think it's the same we have this belief that God is all knowing um, all seeing he can see our problems and this is why we turn to him and say look protect us when we when we always ask for sort of forgiveness and, and we're, we're asking for his help and begging him to sort of you know be be our helper it's because we don't know what illnesses and what 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 schemes and what problems are around us he does and so i guess the point is that that's why we're so lucky as muslims to have a belief in god that god will protect this child because i can't ever protect him my four-year-old's now in school i'm not protecting him in school it's god Mm. you know and so just going back to your point like it's so true you're you have to have a belief in something else otherwise you drive yourself insane mm. otherwise you'd be like you'd always if paranoid. you don't yeah you would yeah. always be paranoid and anxious and nervous what's happening to my child but this is why your second point comes in you're not allowed to love your child more than god mm. you know you're you because there's there's obviously danger in that the, the 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 attachment if it gets too much that's when it becomes sort of the obsession and that's when you will drive yourself into it. I think we're very sort of fortunate as Muslims that we believe there's a protector out there. Yeah, and by no means are we saying just focus on prayers and don't worry about playing your part as a parent. By no means are we saying that at all. You have to balance it correctly. You have to put in the shift, hard work, then also back up that effort with prayers. But it's what we're saying is... uh, Technically, it started from you saying you sent your son to a reception. Yeah, is that don't ignore this? For example, like like you said, I've, we've got a newborn, uh, and at this stage, like we're looking for signs that oh, is why, there, why, right? why is she irritated? Yeah, 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 is she not feeding? Yeah. Or is she not burping? She got gas? Whatever it is, but because we're noticing the change, we're able to deal with it. And I feel that sometimes it goes back to the point that we mentioned that now. Some people might have the reaction of, okay, my son's going to reception. Finally, I've got the home to myself. And when they come back, it's not like a, um, oh, 
I mean, obviously every parent is happy when their son comes from school, but it's more like, okay, how do I deal with this? Where sometimes you may feel that dealing with your own kind of emotions get in the way of you actually seeing some sort of change. Okay, so, there's something wrong. Why is his behavior different? Why is he not eating? So, something happened. We can't ignore those signs either. And mm. I feel that that goes a long way because there's certain issues that kind of, over time, sometimes it gets to a stage where it's really hard to deal with. Mm. And if you can somehow pick it up when the child is first going through that particular thing, it's so much more comforting for a child. No, I, yeah, completely. I think what you what you said there is that you know we still have our our duty. I think is it um, correct me if I'm wrong. There's a saying that you know someone was told to tie up his camel. Um, yeah. Was it by the the Holy Prophet? The Holy Prophet yeah, yeah. Tie up his. Why has he left his camel just loose? And he yeah. said, I've, "I've left it to God to protect yeah, 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 or, or exactly. keep him safe." And and uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him said, "Tie him up first, and that then leave it." Yeah. So, so it just goes in hand with what you're saying that you still have to do everything you can with your yeah. God-given facilities and capabilities yeah. to make sure you go, you do what you can, you know, to to be protective or caring or whatever. And then you also rely on God. You don't just yeah. hold your hands up and say nothing to do with me because I believe in God. That's not how it works. Nice. All right. well, that was a great introduction to our <laughs> little therapy session about parenthoods <laughs> and being fathers. But no. All right. Let's move on to some of the news stories that caught our eye. Anyone like to go first? Uh, I can go first. Um, it will be. A, it's not um, a major, major one, but it's just a possible good move that um, we're seeing from our prime. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's just a possible good move that we're seeing from our prime minister. The headline is Rishi Sunak considers banning cigarettes for the next generation, and this comes um, after looking at similar measures uh, from brought in from New Zealand. So the uh, ex. Prime Minister of New Zealand uh, was named Jacinda Arden. Yes, Jacinda Arden. Uh, Jacinda Arden legislated to re- reduce the nicotine content of tobacco products and force them to be sold only through specialty tobacco stores rather than convenience stores and supermarkets. So, um, so this is kind of making it into a business. I don't know if the tobacco stores are going to be. Uh, sorry, no, I'm saying so. In that particular scenario where she yeah, did it, yeah. they just made it into a separate business, basically. Yeah, like a Rather separate store. It, you can't yeah, just get it. Any, any, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it, the, the, obviously, the aim is to ultimately make it harder for the next generation, especially youngsters, to be able to go out and. But wouldn't that just mean like you have more cigarette shops everywhere, nicotine shops? I'm not too sure what the results have been from New Zealand, but obviously this is like a it's mm. an it's an aim, it's an objective. The objective, the mm. main objective, what the results might be. Obviously, we need to see what how it's worked in New Zealand, but the aim is basically to reduce people smoking. I think they're understanding or realizing actually that the um, uh, how it's affecting the NHS and um, yeah. ultimately then the budget etc is uh, quite significant. So. Um, when asked about the uh, new st- uh, style ban, um, a government spokesperson said smoking is a deadly habit, kills tens of thousands of people each year and places a huge burden on the NHS and the economy. We want to encourage more people to quit and meet our ambition to be smoke-free by 2030, which is why we have already taken steps to reduce smoking rates. This includes pro- providing one million smokers in England with free vape kits. Well, we'll speak about that in a second. Via our world first swap to stop scheme launching a voucher scheme to incentivize pregnant women to quit and consulting on mandatory cigarette pack inserts um so it looks like they obviously have ready 
put in place a number of um, measures to try and quit or delay or just, like reduce the amount of smoking. Which, but for this one though, I don't know if vape thing is a, a fair sort of uh, trade. Is, I'll, I'll say two things. One thing is that in the same way you mentioned vape, it's like in the last five years, there's now in every little small town, there's like so many vape shops that are dedicated just to selling and popping yeah. up people's vapes. Mm. And I can only imagine like if they if they take away nicotine from like the average kind of Tesco, Sainsbury's, whatever, like the normal convenience store, yeah. then all that would happen is that they'll start opening their own shops and someone will see that as an opportunity of opening a business. So yeah, where you can't get it, uh, at normal I mean, I guess I'm guessing. Open their own yeah, shops. but I'm guessing. Obviously, if the government are deciding to um, make only specialty tobacco stores, there must be there must be some regulations around. Okay, who can provide? Who can open the shop? Um, what's going to be sold there? Whether it's not going to be every Tom, Dick, and Harry, going to have to be certain people yeah, that and can the open. The thing it. is, is like you think about the damage, not that that smoking has just on yourself but on the environment in general mm-hmm. like smoking a public place it affects everyone around the air of everyone so like over the last couple of months ULES has been a huge thing yeah yeah like yeah. people now there's a fine basically they put a fining system into it and that's the only way people like it they don't like it that's a different debate but I'm saying to get a, a result of basically people cleaning breathe air, uh, sorry breathing in cleaner air mm-hmm. they've put restrictions in place and I feel like the only way you effectively stop people smoking is one either they have they self-reflect which is what it should be to be honest you self-reflect you understand the harms the dangers that it just puts you through and your family the effect it can have on your lives and you stop you, you're inspired or there's some element of like a restriction but you know um, what's crazy that's the like, only way that this will work they like already so even like so I was actually reading an article yesterday about four of the most um impactful campaigns or adverts yeah. and one of them was a driving one I don't know if you remember where like the guys come to a crossroad and it freezes all of a sudden there's a yeah. guy bombing down and it's it, on his phone uh, I can't remember if he was on his phone or not I didn't actually watch it but I remember part of the advert is it freezes and they both come out the car yeah. and the guy's saying listen I've got my kid with me yeah. and then he's like I'm sorry man I'm going too fast I can't stop now and uh, it's, it's about driving Speed, yeah. speeding it's not, it's not speeding. Yeah, yeah it's about speeding not being on your phone and that was like a really impactful one but similarly right now even on smoking packets uh, cigarette packets yeah, yeah, yeah. they have like you're gonna die basically yeah. <laughs> you're gonna get cancer you're gonna get all of these things so I think it needs to be way more impactful rather than, like to self-reflect you need to see actual damage well, that we, it can we, cause no do you know what it Otherwise, is we, we were talking about this earlier yeah uh, and we can go to that story if you want but I think with these issues I, I'll give you my own example yeah alright so Obviously, those who are listening can't tell, but I'm overweight, yeah? And I don't know if you guys have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm overweight, yeah? So, and like, every time I hear that someone's passed away, uh, someone's had a heart attack, it impacts me mm. temporarily and momentarily that, okay, do you know what? I need to start something. Yeah, this is really bad. I, I just really, I just had a donut. <laughs> Because we just did have a hey, donut. I say that <laughs> I, I did because I had like four four quarters, <laughs> one of each. He cut it into four and had them all. <laughs> but no, that, that's what I'm saying. Like I know, obviously, the dangers of overeating. Yeah, and it affects me when I hear someone has suffered, mm. or I've suffered. Yeah, yeah. Now I feel like with cigarettes and alcohol, some people consume alcohols, whatever it may be. But it's like until you, you're not affected by it. 
doesn't matter what ad you see like you said like when you buy a cigarette packet it says smoking kills on the packet but it that doesn't stop anyone from realizing there and then they still smoke <laughs> so that's the thing until something doesn't happen where you experience it and think wow i can't do that because mm-hmm. i've actually seen the dangers of it people do it and that's why i think if you really want an effective way and people won't like this but it's the same thing that you've done with you Les. you've put bands in place and people don't like it but ultimately they're going to have to get used to it mm-hmm. and with cigarettes keeping in mind the impact it has not just on society but on the nhs and everything then it's these are things that won't cost anyone anything to stop mm. in fact you'll probably save a lot of money by stopping mm. um but the outcome will be more beneficial for you and for the wider society i agree yeah it's interesting but even with vapes like it's like look at the this is the thing with society there's always an alternative mm. and people will always be looking for an alternative as well like yeah. industries will be like okay cool like we it's can't interesting because i was reading a study i was speaking to someone uh, uh, who who's kind of studied up on vaping that uh, the the vape was kind of created for though a, ta- a new target audience a target audience of people who don't smoke yeah so let's try to create something yeah, 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 that will yeah. get them kind of influenced to start using this vape pen. Yeah. And the reality is whether the new audience who doesn't smoke has started or not, but a lot of people who smoke have turned to vaping. And a lot of people who have that mentality I've tried to quit so many times and um I need to quit. They see that by vaping as if as if they've taken that first step. That yeah, I'm not smoking, I'm vaping. Yeah. And vaping has so many dangers to it that no, I've not spoken to anyone that vapes that can correctly tell me what the, what's in the what in the vape that the, what they're consuming, what's in it. Can you tell me what type of um, what ingredients makes this vape? What is it? Is it harmful? Is it beneficial? No one knows. I actually did have a conversation with one of our friends, Madud, who um, gave me like a half hour sort of lesson as to how a vape works. I don't remember much of it, but um, yeah, there was. Uh, I don't remember thinking, okay, this is because of how you explained it. I don't think this is still any better or like, I'm not thinking, oh my God, this is the healthiest thing in the world. Like, yeah, I'm going to jump on this. And also, look, we we can all, we, we've heard enough stories of vapes exploding, people being mm. uh, injured or falling into an illness or something like I was explaining to you guys just before the show that one of my friends on a call with us yesterday was saying how his youngest brother is um, seriously seriously ill now um, due to vaping um, he caught a cyst in his lung or a, a cyst that developed in his lungs which they believe is from vaping and now he has no use of his lower limbs um, wow. and he's in, in like a nine month rehab plan that's crazy to, uh, that is, get back yeah, into no. I mean, I'm, uh, people get a really, de- really defensive about this topic as well. Because yeah. I remember when, when I said this point to someone that look, you can't tell me what's in this vape pen, yeah. but you're you're consuming it. Yeah, they got so upset. They're like, but you can't tell me what's in this coke can. <laughs> I was like, but you're still drinking it. I was like, yeah, but the thing is, I don't need to tell you I, the ingredients is on the tin. Mm. Like I can, I can tell. Yeah, I, can, I don't know it personally. Mm. But I can read it off to you. Mm. You can't tell me what's in that pen. So anyway, it's one of those things. I feel like with with these things, it's um extremely harmful of course people should self-reflect to see the dangers of it and how how n- n- by stopping smoking how not will it just affect you your families mm. but also financially which we're going to talk about uh, later on in the show because it is a financial burden as well to kind of uh, fulfill your needs of this desire 
it is a big financial burden. Um, you know, just on that, yeah, just finally, like, there's just a headline that I've come across um, regarding to vaping. Number of kids hospitalised by vaping quadruples in a year as top expert fears crisis will only get wor- worse. And this is from actually February 2023. Wow. Um, so, yeah, like, it just seems it's not going to be getting... Well, let's hope it gets better, but um, yeah, what we can do is pray and advise. All right, next? so let's move on to another story. But this is more, I just, I read this and I thought, oh, I can't wait to get your opinions on it. So I came across a story where it says AI robots could play future roles as companions in care homes. A very interesting read, and it's how they're just experimenting, that how these artificial, like these um, human-like uh, robots that they're creating a social robot uh, with human like gestures and expressions they could play an important role uh, in looking after the sick and elderly especially in homes where they find it difficult to you know like we mentioned um, staffing is a huge issue in the NHS so this might play a role I don't know what your thoughts are on that because initially when I heard of this when I read this story I thought wow how would you feel if some one of your loved ones was in a care home and you found out that an AI robot was was giving it comfort, well, to me it would depend on like how sane my elderly relative is. Like if they're to a point where all they need is someone a, a voice just to keep for them to be interacting with, then like maybe AI can help. Whereas if they're completely healthy, they're fine, and they're just like in a care home for whatever reason, no, I'd like I'd, I wouldn't be happy with like. Uh, an AI as a substitute for human interaction uh, personally anyway I think I think it certainly solves the um, staffing challenge doesn't <laughs> it um, but you know what uh, I, whilst I agree with Mo it's not a replacement for uh, human interaction the problem is sometimes we need to think practically what is the solution we are yeah. struggling in this area and um, you know unfortunately we are you know our I don't know the statistics, but the population is aging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's going to be more sort of elderly people going into care homes. It's only going to make the staffing and that sort of issues worse. So I, I believe that we should u- utilize technology to assist and help us. But, yeah, not to take away sort of some of the core human areas. Yeah, core human responsibilities. The thing is, but unfortunately, we have yeah. to accept where we need support and if this is a way to support then the thing is I, I feel like it. again the responsibility is down to individuals hmm. I'm not saying don't use care homes care homes are a asset to a community but I'm saying generally like we started this conversation about how we and our parents and we're looking after kids and there's a prayer in within our religion that says that oh god looked off, look after my parents as they looked after me when I was young um have mercy on my parents sorry have mercy upon my parents as they had mercy upon me when I was young mm. and it's almost you don't realise that when your parents and el- generally people in your family elderly grandparents aunties uncles when they reach a stage where now they are no longer to look after themselves mm. they require that kind of parenting and the reverse the roles are reversed mm. so that element of human interaction I feel and looking after an individual especially that when it's a parent that shouldn't be done at our convenience that's our responsibility that's our that's um, compulsory upon us to look after our parents that's what our religion teaches as well in the same way that they looked after us that I can't tell you 
because I don't remember when I was an infant how my parents looked after mm. me, the difficulties that they went through. I can only now imagine because I'm going through that same can, thing. So it's like, it. yeah, now, when they're at that stage, I can't now stop to think, oh, well, I don't have time. Yeah. I don't have time. I'll just put them in the care home. And yeah. then, okay, that's fine. Like some people might not be able to look after them, put them in the care home, but then at least the basic thing of human interaction, mm. let me go meet them. Whether they remember you or not, that's a separate issue, but it's your responsibility yeah. to give them that interaction because I, I've seen so many like amazing uh, videos online like where pe- people who um, are forgetful when they remember their child mm. like how happy everyone mm. gets like that you can't certain things you that can't trigger ex- their memory yeah you yeah. can't there's no substitute for that split, like yeah. with AI like they can't do that I know AI has expressions and, and I'm not knocking AI I think AI is good because with this I saw another story just on that yeah. you might actually be about to mention this but it says like yeah, mo- mo- robots monitor patients as they sleep, um, yeah. helping caregivers uh, under you know uh, so that if the individual is agitated or attempting to get out of bre- bed, and then the robots assist with like lifting the patients and doing this. We kind of do that anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the machines and technology which monitor things when you know when yeah. when when we're laying in bed, like in hospitals. We're just developing a step further than that, aren't we, really, yeah. to some degree? I mean, I might be sounding so sort of ridiculous right now. But no, essentially, you know, we've got the beds that lift us up. We've got the monitors that check our sleep and heartbeat. We're just going a step further now in some ways. But you're completely right. It shouldn't take away from the human side of care. Because if you've ever been in hospital, the, the biggest sort of boost yeah, you get is when a doctor comes and speaks to you it's yeah. not the machines that are delivering you this medicine that is injecting into you automatically the biggest sort of relief often is when a doctor yeah. will come and give you some say some nice words or give you some confidence or you know reassuring and that, words and that's what that's what shouldn't, shouldn't I just want to link it back to what I remember off air we were having this conversation that we're so fortunate that we can attribute everything to God that we do everything for his sake and this is no different, like service to your parents or elderly, anyone in your community. It's a part of our kind of uh, fundamentals to not just serve them, but actually develop ourselves as well. That you're humbling yourself to a, to a point where you're actually putting someone else's needs in front of yours. So it's almost like it's, it's, it's a win-win and it 100% affects you spiritually as well. So that these elements of service, it's, there's no... <laughs> You know, again, it's different when there's like a crisis and need, but when the when the when it's just because well people don't have time, that really gets to me because it's like well actually we've got to make time. That like we this is a sacrifice. Sacrifices aren't supposed to be easy. They're not supposed to be done at your convenience. That's why it's called sacrifice. So you have to have to understand the bigger picture of how much of a blessing it is, and how actually by doing so by serving the elderly and your parents. Um, your connection with God also increases as well because you're fulfilling one of your duties but like I said about AI it's not like there's some really amazing stories I've seen as well where I saw this woman a story on the um, online where this woman suffered a near-death experience um, after trying to get off the tube I think she was trying to get off the tube and she fell into the gap between the tube and the platform and then uh, one of her legs and arms were amputated but she like they've given her AI um, robotic bionic arm and like through the technology she's now be able to like she can move it and pick up things uh, own free will basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah so and that like that's amazing like mm-hmm. for, for technology to give someone that ability again to 
And she, the way she was talking, it was amazing. She's like, I can't wait to go home and like just show my children and hug my children too. So I'm all for that stuff, you know, yeah. like when it comes to yeah. assisting someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to like substitute for you to fulfill your responsibilities. It's a fine feel, balance, yeah, isn't it? It's a, fine, it's a balance. fine balance. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not to say that no, it shouldn't be used. Like, yeah. I think there are cases where, for example, where someone doesn't have anyone. Where, where like someone just doesn't have any family okay I can imagine but even then like it's there were still people that's still my responsibility that like, if yeah. I know my neighbor needs is in need and they don't have children then I still have to serve them hmm. yeah Do you know yeah. Um, I think for me what it was coming down to well ultimately how you determine whether this is going to be something good or not is the intention now the obviously if the intention behind using AI at these care homes is to reduce manpower, to save costs, then, like, I don't know how much that would actually be a beneficial factor. Yeah. Um, whereas if it's actually to assist, as Shams was saying earlier, with regards to analysis of their well-being, how they're sleeping, uh, their heart rate, blood pressure, whatever, then obviously that's a complete different story and um, can assist and help in a much more positive way. So for me, that's, that's what it would come down to. Yep. Um I've got a couple of stories, but actually one I've just seen now uh, and the headline uh, has, has caught my eye. Uh, the UK's largest lake has turned into a toilet yeah. and the disaster is being underplayed. Um, some of, I hope I pronounce this right, Laoni is covered um, with a scum that looks like mushy peas, basically green algae. Uh, you, have you seen this? I think I saw I saw uh, uh, something of like this a few days back. Um, it's deadly for pets, livestock, and wildlife, and for humans, it can trigger uh, stomach uh, upsets and skin rashes. It's the UK's biggest lake, roughly the size of Isle of Wight, and mm-hmm. supplies water to forty percent of Northern Ireland's people. Um, yeah, and if you, it, it, it basically, it's a bloom of Toxic, and I can't, definitely can't pronounce that, but something toxic known as the, the, the official name of blue-green algae. Uh, and on the satellite pictures, you can sort of clearly see um, that it's covered. Uh, and it's a, a mixture of dung uh, and urine, and it's rich in phosphate and provides yeah, nutrients for food, the food for the algae. Um, yeah, and I think, I, I guess this is... Um, trying to just read up on a little bit of it now um yeah. he's being poisoned by a toxic blue green algae on an yeah. op- apocalyptic scale is that the word that you're trying to read no no i was <laughs> no, no, i was i was trying to read the official Even more word. credit than that <laughs> um, oh, that's um farming and but yeah sewage. either way uh, i think i just because that no, caught my eye i thought i'd mention it the, so, okay so next uh, so the story i had was uh about net zero uh, and I'd just be interested to to get your your guys' thoughts on this. Uh, Rishi Sunak announces plans to delay petrol and diesel car ban, and there's been a bit of an uproar. Um, uh, interestingly, actually, this is a BBC website, and it actually, you know. Um, first says what net zero is so I'll just read that out what is net zero when we burn fossil fuels like fuels like coal oil and gas they release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere you can become net zero by taking out as many greenhouse gases from the atmosphere that you put in this can be done by reducing how much carbon dioxide goes into the atmosphere or by removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere so the original plan was that people wouldn't be allowed to buy new uh, petrol and diesel cars uh, from, from 2030 yeah. 
uh, to reduce you know those greenhouse uh, gas emissions um, and now this has been pushed back to 2035. There was also something about um, property, uh, certain reg- things regarding property, their insulation or their boilers or something like that. So after 2030, um, you weren't able to, or you'd have to, uh, change your boiler for a heat pump um, yeah. and I can't remember exactly how that would work but basically it's meant to be better for the environment for the climate yeah um, so I guess I guess he was he was saying that there's more time for check for people to be able to sort of change over to this trying to make it easier for, yeah. for people basically I mean yeah. Not, yeah not everyone's sort of buying that sort of um, narrative narrative yeah mm. um, but yeah I just wanted to sort of you there's know, been no, a lot of what, pushback. What guys? Uh, there's been a lot of um, criticism against uh, Rishi Sunak for doing that, and people saying that he's gone back on his word. He's and also we're not, we we apparently have some legal obligations in regards to climate change. Um, I don't know if that's a European uh, law or an international policy or, or law that's in place, but there's uh, people that are arguing that there could be a legal case against Rishi Sunak for ignoring this and for pushing back on it so it'll be interesting to see, to see how it all folds out but uh, what will you guys do are you guys sort of uh, up for moving your sort of cars like in on, onto and moving on to sort of the electrical vehicle electric I, vehicle I think, market um, I, th- I, I for one certainly suffer from what they call uh, is it range anxiety um, where not getting enough mileage yeah I've never well, heard of that I, I, I think that that's still a, a luxury to have that problem I think the bigger problem is that it's good bringing in these new laws mm. but then you can't cater you've got to cater for the people who are the the poorest in society yeah. so for example like this ULES thing that's what, exactly what it, I was it's thinking. not an issue for those who can afford to switch to a car that is ULES compliant it's an issue for those who can't so you've put in a um, a ruling now that covers this uh, London borough, yet it affects people's lives so much and you've done nothing to cater for that. Like you've just created a scrappy, uh, ULES scrappage scheme, which is you can get up to £2,000 for a car that doesn't fit the ULES compliance. But what what can you get in £2,000 like these days? Like insurance nothing. for a car is like close to £1,000. Yeah. To get a car that's ULES compliant... And if you're heavy relying on a car, and it could be basic things like you don't even—I'm not even saying you need it for work. You, you like for example, a, a mother might just have a car to pick and do the school run or to do shopping. Like, and now if you're unable to do that, that puts extra burden on the your your like the how the husband who has to now kind of go out and do these things amongst kind of working. So it, it's um, it's all fine. It's all good and well to say that. Yeah, this is we want zero. What is it called? Zero net, zero. zero net zero, but then put in the structure that caters for those. Yeah, that's the most a, needed. Yeah. The most needed. Yeah, and don't just put a general in. You have to think about those who most need it. That's exactly what I was thinking actually. So my commute to work when I walk from my parents' house to the station the other day when I was walking, I was looking at cars. Like it's just obviously I'm just observing the world and then I see some cars that I know like 05, 06 or older cars and I'm thinking how are these guys managing to pay or I don't know what the actual plan is for people that reside within London yeah. and their cars yeah. are not units I don't know whether they're being charged every day or whether they have to pay like a fixed fee or something I don't know but regardless it, I still think it's unfair yeah. um, and that's why we've seen a lot of people have 
got not a lot of people, but there's certain members. There's in, a group, yeah. Yeah, a group going around, they're snipping the cameras yeah. because um, they don't think it's fair. That's the only thing. That's the only thing with this. If they can manage to come up with a scheme that actually caters for those who, the mo- who need it the most, mm. and you can transfer everyone to it onto it smoothly, then it's all great yeah. because you're having a great effect. But if you're if it's like the the people who are, uh, let's say, in that certain bracket of the most needy. They're now having to like, struggle even more, yeah. and nothing, no support element yeah, is being given. Just think that about it. Like people harsh. that, like it's easy to actually imagine where someone has, they 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 literally living hand to mouth, and then they've their only means of transport is now a means of transport that is no longer compliant with this new policy. They have they've got kids, they're working maybe one or two more than one job, and they are now struggling with this extra financial burden where, where would they where would they go they're completely stuck they don't know yeah. they can't sell it because they've got kids and they've got work and whatever yeah. other obligations they can't keep affording to pay this ULS charge insurance yeah. now is stupid like I re, um, got my insurance done recently and uh, everything is just it's crazy yeah. so yeah you're right the government does need to put a, a proper plan in place to accommodate the most needy yeah that, that's my only view on this to be honest and I can only go by the ULES kind of the way they've done ULES and yeah to the average person you might have to take a bit of a hit to become ULES compliant but then like after a, a few months you'll be okay but if that's the average person what about those who are the most needy in society yeah. they are suffering in silence and yeah. we don't know because now we're just on to the next thing yeah mm. yeah no no it's, uh, it's it's true and i think that's one of the biggest sort of talking points around this anyway it's uh, it's interesting isn't it because you know we've been hearing this term sort of climate change for for a long time now and it just still doesn't seem like there's enough being done we we can see sort of the extreme weathers um even within you know our country the change i don't know whether it's just more noticeable since people have become more educated on climate change and you know maybe we did have uh, an extreme change in weathers uh before as well but yeah it definitely feels like there's an increase um even even uh, uh, across the world around the world um yeah so it's uh it's definitely something that's not going to go away uh so there does need to be some sort of strategy from i suppose the government which is fair as you say yeah uh and reflects uh you know the abilities of of those um in society um i think just lastly on it you know there's I thought it'd be good to end the story with with a bit of guidance from <coughs> what un says suggests ways you can help uh with this sort of climate change issue save energy at home so simple actions like turning devices and lights off when you're not using them i mean simple to say isn't it but but often i don't know look with you guys you know i'll you know if i'll often just walk out the room yeah leave the light on because i know i'm going downstairs for sort of only about five ten minutes but but i can quite easily but i can quite easily switch it off you know Uh, and it's little things like that not being sort of wasteful in that sense drive less um walk cycle or take public transport if you can um, you know, also this I suppose goes without saying is is more of the it's a healthy option it as well. Eat more vegetables and less meat. And again, you know, something yeah. meat we take for granted in this country is so accessible, so easy to get. Yeah. Um, you know, especially the, you know every corner of this country, every road you you'll see some sort of fast food joint, um, and you know, it's very affordable. So just coming out of that habit. Um, 
and choosing to sort of reduce the amount uh, of carbon produced by you know, choosing to have less meat. Um, and yeah, cut food waste. Every time you throw food yeah. away, uh, you waste it. I can't remember. I think Mo done a story on this a, lot, a while back uh, where we spoke about homelessness. And I think he mentioned the amount of food that is actually being wasted by restaurants in this country. And it was a while back, so I can't obviously remember the stats, but it was insane. Like, you know, what I think it was refer, like, ref, uh, compared to what or how many people that could actually feed. And it was just ast- astonishing because there is a lot of food wastage in in our societies, our, yep. so our country, where we live. So, um, Just a quick one on that. The UK throws away around 9.5 million tonnes of food in a single year. There you go. In a single year, and that's from yeah. this year as I, well. I think it just goes back to, you know what you're saying, like just living a healthy, healthier life style. And I feel like one of the luxuries of cars is also that it it just makes you like sometimes even lazy. If, yeah, it makes you a bit lazy. And um, I think it's when you're forced into doing something the hard way, you realize the benefits of it afterwards. Because you, if you if you have that mentality of always looking at the cup half full, then like obviously you see the situation and say, okay, if I can't afford a car, then I'll just have to walk to work. Mm-hmm. Or even if it's like a few kilometers, maybe a mile or so, maybe more then that's just what I have to do um, because like again I think we look at our struggles and think oh like we can't afford a car and then, but then there's people in other parts in the world whose problems are 10 times worse mm. but they find a way um, and I think that 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 quality of adapting and actually you know what it's, it, it's what we were mentioning earlier about sort of just linking it back to previously our parents and the the lives they sort of came, came from and, and the way they live we probably all heard these stories, you know, our parents and our grandparents, the amount of walking they would do on a daily basis. Like, I was reading a stat somewhere the other day. It said, you know, we're obviously advised to walk 10,000 steps a day. But they were saying, I think, in the was it like 80s or, so, or, so, or something like that. Anyway, may have been, may have been, may have been more. But at some point, we were, humans were walking 70,000 steps a day. No problem. That was, that was the norm. Yeah. Um, and now, obviously, to try and get to ten thousand, which is what around four miles, maybe four yeah. or five miles, you know, even that's a struggle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. Um, By no means are we, we saying become just lazy d- with yeah, the yeah, advancement. I, I don't want someone listening thinking that we just start walking get, twenty miles yeah, a day. Get the impression that no, just you know, toughen up. No, that's not the, the yeah. point. The, the, like I said, the government should do everything they can to cater for those who are in need especially when they put out policies that can affect someone's life so dramatically. Mm. But from the other side, if you're in that... So I I even think about myself, I'm in that bracket in the sense where it will affect me Mm. and I would have to come up with more means. So I always have to try... When when these things happen, I always try to think, okay, how do I look at the cup half full? And it's just reminding myself, family, that, listen, um, we have to go through certain hardships but we shouldn't just fall back and think because we never used to, we've never been through it we can't go through it mm. that you can go through it people mm. are going through a lot worse mm-hmm. so yeah we have to put ourselves through hardships but it, it it's how we deal with this situation that will define us and again simply set out that example for the future generations that when this hit us we didn't crumble rather we started walking we started doing this we started doing that mm. um it's lifestyle isn't it it's, yeah, really, it's yeah. like you know we don't recognize how easy we do actually have it yeah, in yeah. this country you know where you know the infrastructure around us supports us so much yeah. that actually we don't have the need 
to walk as much or we don't have the need to do certain things that you know we like now you can sit at home and order all of your shopping so even that's gone out the window now you know yeah. where you would traditionally have your weekly shop and the family would I don't know why this is how it was in my family you know we'd be excited to go to that weekly shop and once a week you're going into Sainsbury's you're spending an hour walking around like even Sunday now market for me. yeah even Sunday no, even <laughs> Sunday market. you know I, actually on that so even that you know these things are now gone um, because now you can sit in the comfort of your own home and do it but yeah even on Sunday market I, I love it now there's Facebook market I, 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 I took my, I took my family um, a few weeks back, um, maybe might, might have been about a month ago actually, to the local Sunday market, and I actually said said to my wife, it's like I, I want, I feel like you know the um, the good old purchasing items in that format of markets is sort of dying now isn't it because yeah, of yeah. you know the advancement of technology and I said to my wife I actually want my children to experience it you know going into a market seeing bargaining. something maybe not even bargaining but I just want them to experience you know walking around things Sunday on the table Sunday market was a proper outing for yeah, us yeah that's what I mean and they loved it yeah. like I took my boys there they absolutely loved it I still remember there were certain items that if we wanted to and buy and I loved it because everything was we, cheap we, we, yeah we, like, <laughs> our parents like we would normally bring the catalogue Argos yeah. catalogue to our parents go I need a new bike yeah. <laughs> this is not the place to buy a bike. Yeah. We'll go on Sunday. He's like, oh, where's my dad taking me on Sunday? Next thing you know, we go to the big Sunday market. Yeah, or if we need a, a new, farm. or if we need a new TV remote. <laughs> like, there's certain things that just you would have to go to the Sunday market. You wouldn't yeah. go anywhere else. No, but you're right. We just Google it, and yeah. the cheapest we just buy. It. Not, but actually, that fits so nicely into sort of the last point of what UN is uh is suggesting as ways to help uh and that's recycle yeah that's yeah. recycle you know aside from you know the traditional the the official recycling plastic and but even reusing you know that's what sunday market is right reusing certain things obviously in a in a hygienic and safe and clean way there shouldn't be this sort of embarrassment around it yeah. um you know if 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 a kid has had a bike and he's no longer using a bike reuse it yeah, rather yeah. than sort of you know scrapping and that's why i always away, tell so. you a lot that anytime you're about to get new stuff just give me your stuff. <laughs> yeah. i'm always saying to you especially with your phones and like and cars and your, and your cars <laughs> look you're getting a new car anyone with a euro car. six yeah uh, we're coming to the one. end of the first hour of our show and um do stay tuned when we come back for the second hour we'll be going to our main topic like we said he's going to be talking about finances and why a lot of people are going into debt do join us for the conversation it is a live and interactive show 0208-687-7878 or you can hit us up on any of our socials at voice of islam uk we're now going to go for a news break make sure you join us after the break of Islam Radio. 
revolutionary change was brought in the Arabian Peninsula by the Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him. He established a fair society, respect for women, and created brotherhood amongst the various tribes in his very lifetime. He promoted education in numerous ways, changing the entire landscape of Arabian society. People who were previously looked down upon soon became leaders in all aspects of human life. The Holy Quran commanded Muslims to spread throughout the world and experience the vastness of God's creation. Within a few hundred years, a relatively short span of time, Muslims became the educators of the world. They became pioneers in medicine, physics, history, geology, and civil and military administration. During the centuries of European history, defined as medieval, the most advanced civilization in the world was undoubtedly Islam. In a time spanning close to a thousand years, an era known as Islam's golden age. The holy founder of Islam, peace be upon him, placed great emphasis on learning. His specific instruction was to seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. It is the quest for knowledge which opens the doors of progress, where Muslim minds seek not only to prove their own genius, but to implement it for the service of their creator. Islam's rapid spread during the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and under the leadership of the rightly guided Khulafa, precipitated what is commonly referred to as the golden age of Islam a period which ushered in immense contributions to philosophy, science, engineering and governance. The development of modern medicine, astronomy and mathematics, the refinement of algebra and trigonometry and the use of optics in a physical manner are all legacies from the Islamic era. Muslim scientists brought both knowledge and application into inventions which are still pertinent to modern life today. Small tools ranging from scissors all the way up to complex water-powered pumping machines and standardised weighing scales were all invented by Muslim scientists. Indeed, their legacy lives on, but it's not just through the machines themselves, but also the words, many of which are derived from Arabic origin. Words include algebra, algorithm, alchemy and camera are all derived from root Arabic origin. In the 8th century, Khalid the goat herder noticed his excitable animals had eaten red berries, which led to coffee production and the early alabric drink, al-Qahwa. This surfaced in Europe at the first Venice coffee house in 1645, making it the world's favorite hot beverage today. In the eighth century, Jabir Ebn Khayyan devised and perfected the distillation process using the alembic still, which is still used today. Muslims were producing rose water, essential oils, and pure alcohol for medical use. Today, distillation has given us products ranging from plastics all the way to petrol. Early 13th century, Al-Jazari was the first person to use a crank, which transmits rotary motion into linear motion. His machines were able to raise huge amounts of water without anyone lifting a finger. Muslims also pioneered use of alternative energy through windmills, and the construction of dams and water reservoirs. The invincible designs of 12th century castles of Syria and Jerusalem were imitated in Western lands with key features like round towers, arrow slits, barbicans and battlements. Muslim architecture techniques of the 8th and 10th century, such as rib vaulting, the pointed and horseshoe arch were the main inspiration on which Gothic architecture was based. These techniques enabled European architects to overcome problems in Romanesque vaulting 
and are prevalent in surviving Gothic architecture all across Europe today. More than a thousand years ago, in a darkened room known as Gamara in Arabic, Ibn al-Khaydam observed light coming through a small hole in the window shutters, producing an upside-down image on the opposite wall. This early pinhole camera has led to the camera we know today. In the 13th century, Ibn al-Khaldum traced the rise and fall of human societies in the science of civilization, recording it all in his famous book, Al-Muqadimah, or Introduction to a History of the World, which forms the very basis of sociology and economic theory today. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, he who issues forth in search of knowledge is busy in the cause of Allah till he returns from his quest. In this hadith, travelers emphasized in relation to the seeking of knowledge, and the emphasis on movement intertwined with knowledge refers to the pilgrimage to Mecca. This emphasis on movement alongside knowledge seeking became a dominant cultural aspect of medieval Islam. Perhaps one of the most famous explorers of all time, Ibn Battuta, traveled over 75,000 miles in 29 years time through over 40 modern countries, compiling one of the best eyewitness accounts of the customs and practices of the medieval world. Muslims were also the first people to commonly hold the idea of a round earth. In the 11th century, Al-Idrisi was commissioned by the Norman king of Sicily to make a map. He produced an atlas of 70 maps called the Book of Roger, showing the earth was round. Al-Idrisi also made a globe out of silver to further stress the point. Maths, known as the language of nature, has been an integral part of Islamic science, as well as developing existing Greek concepts like trigonometry and giving us the numerals we use today. In the 8th century, Al-Khwarizmi introduced the beginnings of algebra and it was developed into a form we still use today by many Muslims who followed him. Second World War problem solvers were carrying on the code-breaking tradition first written about by polymath Al-Gindi from Baghdad when he described frequency analysis and laid the foundation of cryptology. Cutting-edge surgeon Al-Zahrawi introduced over 200 surgical tools that revolutionized medical science more than 1,000 years ago. These tools look identical to modern-day 21st century tools used in various types of surgery. It was the gravitational pull of Khilafat that precipitated the rapid progress of Islam during its golden era. Once Khilafat on the precept of prophethood ended, the dominance of Islam soon began to fade. Today, the renaissance of Islam continues in the form of Khilafat and Ahmadiyyat, instituted after the demise of the promised Messiah, Salam. As with the holy founder of the community, the Khulafa over the past 100 years have written numerous books embodying a massive amount of religious information. Under the divinely inspired leadership of Khilafat, therefore, the gravitational pull of unity is restored and the golden era of Islam is once more within sight. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbours. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbours with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasised consideration towards one neighbours so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbour would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked for your family, 
add a little more water to it, so that your neighbor might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbor should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people, and their favorite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one, and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbor. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbor is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbor. He asked people not to object to their neighbors driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbor. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim. The Holy Quran states, Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. An-Nur is that being through whose light a physically blind person sees and a person who has gone astray finds guidance. It is that being who is apparent and through whom all things are manifested. His being is apparent in himself and makes things evident for others as well. The true light is God, which can be perceived in everything by those with insight. However, one who is devoid of spiritual sight cannot see it. A believer is firm on the belief that the universe that can be observed as well as the universe that cannot be observed is created by God in order to give an understanding of this light God sends his chosen people who spread the nur which comes down from the heavens throughout the world the promised messiah on whom be peace writes that light of high degree that was bestowed on perfect man was not in angels, was not in the stars, was not in the moon, was not in the sun, was not in the oceans or the rivers, was not in rubies or emeralds, or sapphires or pearls. In short, it was not in any earthly or heavenly object. It was only in perfect man, whose highest and loftiest and most perfect example 
was our Lord and Master, the Chief of the Prophets, the Chief of all living ones, Muhammad, the Chosen One. Peace and blessings of Allah be on him. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, set the most excellent example and the highest standard of nur, which was established as a reflection of the light of God and which will continue till the day of judgment. The nur he received was conveyed to his companions and established excellent morals amongst them, so much so that he likened them to the stars. After the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, the reflection of God's light was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. This was due to complete subordination of his master. Not only did God fill the promised Messiah on whom be peace with Nur that was sent down more than 1,400 years ago, he also granted him the station to spread this nur. The promised Messiah on whom be peace wrote that no one knew him and God compelled him out of his solitude and told him that he would bestow upon him honor and make him renowned all over the world. It is a way of God that when he adorns someone with nur, he manifests it to the world. After all, when the worldly light has a capacity to spread, how can the light of God stay hidden? Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. You have just joined us after the break. And in the first hour, we were discussing different news segments that caught our eye, and we had a very interesting conversation. We're now going to go on to our main topic of the soul, which is debt and finance in general. So, like I said, it is a live and interactive show, so uh, do have your say. Call us, be part of the conversation. The number is 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or you can get in touch through any of our socials at Voice of Islam UK. So, uh, I've had the easy job of just reading out the numbers. <laughs> now I'm going to pass on to one of you guys to introduce this topic and start the conversation. Okay, so before we do start, uh, obviously we mentioned around the beginning that the, the topic is regarding um, debt, yep. um, financial debt, uh, living within your means, um, how people fall into debt, how to get out of debt, what Islam says about debt. Um, We'll try and touch on touch upon the the, the history of debt as well and and, and money, um, but I would just like to say if there is anyone uh, that would love to come on and speak about maybe the personal experiences regarding debt, getting out of debt, or help they may have got, then yeah, please do give us a call. What's the numbers, guys? So you can repeat zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Or you can get in touch through our socials at Voice of Islam UK. 
Perfect. So, yeah, I think the reason why we chose debt is because obviously the last couple of years, um, cost of living has been a term that's been thrown around a lot, not just thrown around like, like you know, meaninglessly, but um, something that's a real concern. Um, you know, there's uh, interest rate uh, increases, there are inflation increases, mortgage prices are becoming stupid. Just general living has become um, harder than it was before. So the, the amount of money you had left over after your uh, all your expenses were paid has significantly decreased. Um, so just to kind of define debt, debt is money you owe a person or a business. It's when you've borrowed money, you need to pay back. Usually people borrow borrow money when they don't have enough to pay for something they want or they need so just some facts and figures people in the UK owed 1,842.6 billion at the end of June 2023 that's that's actually 1 trillion 842.6 billion at the end of June 23 that is staggering and this is up 42.1 billion um, from the end of last year so literally within a year it's um, gone up 42.1 billion an extra 791 pound per UK adult uh, yeah, in the in the last year, the average total debt per household, including mortgage, was sixty five thousand six hundred nineteen pound. Um, some other figures: two hundred eighty six people a day were declared insolvent or bankrupt in England uh, and Wales in May to July, just between May and July. So three months, two hundred eighty six people a day were considered were declared insolvent or bankrupt. This is equivalent to one person every five minutes and 18 seconds is basically declaring bankrupt and we know that there are some bankruptcies or people might not know actually there's some bankruptcies which don't mean actually that you have nothing normally when people hear bankrupt maybe from the game Monopoly you're led to believe you have nothing left but there are other ways like uh, I don't know the actual details of it but there's ways of saying you're bankrupt or declaring bankruptcy where you actually don't lose everything you're just saving yourself from more financial burden so you right. still like have means to to live off um 6.7 properties were repossessed every day between april and june 2023 or one every three hours and 35 minutes what? that one hit me the most say, between say april and june 2023 6.7 properties were repose- repossessed every day so every three hours and 35 minutes, wow. um, homes were repossessed. And what that means is basically where someone is unable to repay uh, the, the lender, the mortgage, um, the, the money that they owe for having that property, having that home. If they're unable to pay it, the banks or the, the financial provider of the um, mortgage yep. will have to take that property back. So between April, May, June, in three months, every three hours, someone is losing their home. That for me hit me the hardest because we we live in our home. It's our personal yeah. space. It's where yeah, we yeah, yeah. you know spend our time with our loved ones. And if you lose that, that is such a burden upon you and such a stressful and um, worrying situation to be in. And every three hours and thirty five minutes is one person is losing their home is 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 such a worrying situation. So these are just some facts and figures to kind of paint a picture of mm. the issue that we are in. Um and we are gonna speak more about it. I think Shamshi had some you wanted to say something. Yeah, no no I was just I was just gonna say we we were discussing uh 
off air, you know, the the I suppose the the, the title of the discussion was, you know, n- living within one's means. Yeah. Mm. And um, me and Usman, I suppose, were having a discussion around. Um, we're having a discussion around. Why is it that you know in this day and age we struggle to live within our means? Um, is it because finance is too easily available? Is it because it's too hard to make a good living? Um, you know, there, there 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 was a few things, and one and one of the things that I sort of um, was mentioning was that the the mo the um, the ability to actually access finance we, we you know it's so easy like i was saying like if you if you earn sort of 50k a year you can still have a car which is like 80k a year and that's because you can pay on a monthly um and so much so that you know even if you wanted to get like a 15 20 pound kettle from argos you don't have to pay it in full you can pay it across sort of three months three, or four months, yeah. whatever you know and 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 there are things that we'll go into which are r- regarding sort of interest but I, I think my point was that it's it's too easy to access things in the sort of current lifestyle that we live mm. whilst it may not be affordable we're giving the you know we're we we have the illusion that it is affordable for us, yeah. and so we go and purchase things. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I think that's um, a much more like deeper perspective to look at in regards to um, uh, debt and living within your means. I mean, there's a number of reasons why people fall into it. And if you actually look deeper, then we can also kind of um, consider, um, you know social media other outside factors um influence etc we're going to go on a very short break and uh, we'll be back with you shortly Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. The unity of God is a light which illumines the heart only after the negation of all deities, whether they belong to the inner world or the outer world. It permeates every particle of man's being. How can this be acquired without the aid of God and his messenger? The duty of man is only to bring death upon his ego and turn his back to devilish pride. He should not boast of his having been reared in the cradle of knowledge, but should consider himself as if he were merely an ignorant person and occupy himself in supplications. Then the light of unity will descend upon him from God and will bestow new life upon him. Welcome back to the show. Um, so yeah, we were talking about debt, and I believe, Shams, you were just mentioning living, within. living in your yeah. means. And, I, and I, I, my point of view has always been, it just depends on your influence, the way I feel it. It's like, for example, like you gave the example of someone earning 50,000 a year, or was it 80,000? Yeah. I don't know. So let's say someone does earn 50,000 a year. That's... Uh, healthy living 
standard um, to live off. But who's telling you that you need to buy a car valued £80,000? That's a decision that you make. And that decision is based on need rather than what desire. I think often what happens is we get these two things mixed up. That we follow our desires and sometimes our desires aren't within our means. But because within your circle of friends or social circle or is always in your face, like social media, every other like pop-up or every other Instagram post or storyline is of someone buying an amazing car. And we don't know how they bought it. We don't know the backstory of how much he's affording. We just see someone buying a really nice car that instills in our brain indirectly that we need to get this car. So that's why I think it's actually more of a choice that you make rather than like it because the need is so much yeah for some for example i'll go back to the normal what we discussed in the first hour for like someone who now needs a u-less car that's not dependent on influence that's a that is necessity necessity and like if it's out of your budget you're still gonna have to spend and find a way Mm. that's what we like need to like help and find a solution for but if you're earning fifty thousand pound a year and after bills and everything, you still decide that you want to take a finance car. Taking finance means basically you can't afford to buy it. So you try decide to finance it. Then you're not living within your means because you're putting yourself into debt thinking that yeah, I'll be able to clear it if I'm organized. Mm. So again, I, I feel that that's a decision. It's not based on necessity. And it's not like we can't blame. Like we sometimes have this mentality. Yeah, but we're kind of forced to go into debt because like we have to buy these things no we don't like that's a decision that you make just to add to that though there are also instances where you don't always fall into debt because of buying stuff you you might have like essential bills that you need to pay and you're living within your mean you're fine but there are certain things that happen um which are which may be out of your control for example you lose your job um or you have someone that's fallen ill within your family and you, not, and you start taking care of them and that causes you to take out loans or, you know, you just there are certain essential things that you have to do um, which just make it harder. Um, so that that's there's a number of reasons or causes of debt in, in our current society, which I don't know if we want to jump on it now or yeah. whenever, Shams, you want to yeah. go yeah, through Yeah, I think um, in... in, in, in in the book written by uh, His Holiness the Second Caliph, Muhammadiyya uh, Islam, uh, Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, he wrote a book, The Economic System of Islam. Um, and in this book, he, you know, it's a, it's a phenomenal book, a phenomenal study of, um, you know, much of what we're discussing here around sort of economics and living within one's means and, and, and actually solutions to the, the, the systems um, and uh, he, he states in here that the Holy Quran states that know that life of this world is only a sport and a pastime and an adornment and a source of boastings and of rivalry in multiplying riches. This life is like the vegetation produced whereby rejoices the tillers. Then it dries up and then it becomes broken pieces of straw. In the hereafter, there is severe punishment and also forgiveness from Allah and his pleasure. And the life of this world is nothing but temporary enjoyment. Of deceitful things so he explains that these verses uh, or this verse outlines you know core mo- core motivations that lie behind uh, human urge to amass wealth so I thought we could go through uh, sort of the five that have been outlined here and the first is um, the motivation is the first motivation to amass sort of wealth is a desire for entertainment so play amusement 
um, you know, even you know, gambling, horse racing. Man is seeking wealth so that he can satisfy his own desire for entertainment. I think this is something you touched upon. Yeah. That it's where we want to sort of satisfy ourselves. Yeah. It's a desire. It's a desire. Mm. And um, but sometimes that desire get, becomes so strong that it feels like a need that I have to do this. Hmm. Um, or maybe your life, has, your circle, your life, the way you live has become such that that becomes a must. Yeah. You, and, and this is where sort of, I suppose, the, the term keeping up with the Joneses comes from, where living around and in, in that society, you felt you had to keep up, otherwise you felt keeping you'd Keeping up appearances. Yeah, yeah you'd, otherwise you'd be left behind. Mm. The second motivation is the desire for leisure. Um, so I, to have so much that there's no longer a need to work. People with this motiv- motivation want to be completely free all day, to laze around, um, spend time um, playing and, and, and whatever it is. Um, the third motivation is the desire for elegance. And this is one that we see a lot yeah, of, right? Yeah. And we see um, particularly the youth, but, but, but adults as well, um, where there's a desire for sort of luxury clothes, yeah. dress, dress, you know, your, your, your dress, your cars, your food. And, and there is this desire. And I think, I think social media has a hand to play on this because a lot of what you see on social media is boastfulness, right? And actually, that, I say boastfulness, that's coming next. But it is the ability to show off what you have. Mm. Um, and, and that does in turn make sort of I suppose, I suppose makes you know when when you're when you're viewing it watching it there there's, there might be a part of you that thinks I want that or why can't I have that and I think we see that a lot um, in the society that we live in today there, there are many factors behind that I don't know if you want to finish listing them before we discuss each each of them yeah okay fine we'll do it like that yeah so the fourth motivation is the desire to be able to boast um, some people desire to be famous and be acknowledged in society as wealthy and observe, observe that this obsession is so advanced that people take pride uh, in that sort of power. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, there's, uh, again, that's something that we do see a lot of. Um, the fifth motivation is the mere addiction to accumulating wealth. When individuals sort of start competing with each other in accumulating great wo- greater wealth, and I guess this, again, is keeping up with the Joneses, neighbor has something i want more and there's always this desire for more it's it's never enough is it yeah so yeah these are um you know some of the motivations that we see uh, god has sort of told us um around um the accumulation or the 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 motivation to to have wealth and, and the sort of this is a, it's not just this isn't just motivation for wealth is it or is it motivations to live outside of your means is that what this list is referring to? I suppose is it, it just it, being go, it goes, greedy. Yeah, I suppose it. it the they, um, you know, it, the the verse is outlining um, the core motivations that lie behind those human sort of urges okay. to amass wealth. So I suppose okay. it is mm-hmm. going into the what urges humans to live outside of their means, and mm-hmm. it's these sort of things which the Quran is outlining. Okay, fair enough. With some of them, do you want to like pick on some of the, yeah, the so like, points? Yeah, so like the the <coughs> desire for elegance. Yeah. Whilst whilst is, is Islam 
does give you the right and encouragement to dress well, look well, be and spend, basically. be presentable, and spend that of the wealth that God has provided. It doesn't give the leeway to sort of be boastful yeah. or be over the top in your sort of approach to wealth. Mm. Showing off, basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, a narration of the Holy Prophet I'll just mention, and I feel it fits perfectly. The Holy Prophet on one occasion mentioned that riches are not from an abundance of worldly goods, but from a contended mind. And that's such a small statement, but it's so powerful as well in the sense that, again, like having wealth um, and riches shouldn't be mistaken by just having worldly possessions. Rather, if your mentality is of the sense that, okay, I want to be helpful and I want to be beneficial to society that is what is meant by having that right mindset uh, and there's again so many um, like you said there's no from an Islamic point of view but even from a worldly point of view like to have that mentality of showing off there's like what what is the benefit of it because what that really is showing is that you are not content with yourself and you need other people's approval Hence why you need to kind of put your life on display. Well, and as soon as you're off camera or, or you're not doing these posts or you're struggling, put, you're struggling because you don't have true happiness. Not just that, but what Mo pointed out the statistics of, yeah. you know, as soon as you're off camera, as you, as, as you sort of presented it, you're actually so, because the whole idea of doing this show is to highlight debt and to highlight that living outside your means is one of the key things which is making people sort of struggle these days. And it's just like, there's such a desire to please others and such a desire to, it comes back to this mental health thing actually, doesn't it? It comes back to a desire, and it's an identity, you want to be accepted, don't you, really? It comes back to this immense desire to be accepted, to be loved or to, to be someone, basically, that you're willing to put your live above your means put yourself in debt borrow money and then get stuck in this cycle but just so you can keep up an appearance yeah absolutely you know, i think um as much as it is an individual's responsibility to be wary of what their means are and to not be boastful not be too elegant or you know all of these motivations it's also society's responsibility because what it is is like if some one person is being boastful and showing like oh look i got this i got that and they're, they're being seen as someone who's respected who's wealthy who is such an amazing person they need to understand the ramifications of that what the consequences of someone being admired or seen as such an such yeah. a great person because of their money because the, the 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 consequences are that other individuals look at that and say okay i need that because i also need that um respect i need that attention i need that sort of gratification yeah. so then it just becomes a cycle and then not also not just individuals in society but then also large corporations that make these um products or these services so desirable and easy to access now you've got companies um, that m make buying something when you can't afford it so easy mm. you can't you might not have like say you got like a hundred pound in your account right now you want to buy something that's 80 pound you know you're gonna have 20 pound left so the option comes okay don't spend eighty pound now. Spend, spend five pounds. Yeah, spend five pound or spend fifteen pound or twenty pound over the next four months, so you have money left mm -hmm. over, and that 
you're basically borrowing money and then from that one instance of buying something knowing that you can pay it later pay it off over a certain amount of time you think okay I can do this now for this thing maybe I can buy more things then because maybe you know like you said earlier if you're organised enough I believe maybe I'll be able to f- pay it off but then yeah. you just fall into this trap of buying and buying and buying and buying when you don't have mm-hmm. the money for it believing or hoping even that okay I'll pay off in the future yeah that, that's a very good point because uh, that was something I was going to come on to next which is also in this book Economic System of Islam which is the balance between individual freedom and state intervention the responsibilities of the state and the sort of society that you live in so we will move on to that um, because that you know it's it's a very good point and um, I was talking to a friend actually a few days back and we were just discussing that you know there there are people that we know of um, who who may not be earning much, maybe earning like, you know, 12, 13, 1400 pounds a month, um, young, but they go and choose to get a car which is costing them four or 500 pounds a month. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we and we know that, that that's a fact that happens. And, it, and, and that's where I think Mo, Mo is sort of highlighting that actually there needs to be a responsibility and whether that's um, a bit more of your due diligence is under the affordability sector within that that you know is this actually affordable for this person not just on the basis of do they have the money in the account but a little bit more of moral affordability yeah how does that really come into this and 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 this is where i wish our fellow presenter nasir uh Han was with us because his expertise in the understanding of the um economic system would be very helpful and i think we'll do a show on that another time when but to right. understand interest how interest works the entrapment of some of these sort of strategies yeah. how yeah. you know where the where's the moral obligation for the kyc as me and mo know quite well you know know your where's the where's the where's the moral test for that mm-hmm. where's the moral test for due, your your proper sort of due diligence of the affordability because that doesn't really exist does it it's more so a financial organization doing an assessment on your means to make sure that they get their money back but it doesn't actually look at all into and this is where Islam comes in, right? This is where yeah. Islam's solution to the economic system, which is not something we can go into in great detail at the moment, but the solution yeah. does encompass moral responsibility in the society you live in, whether that's yeah. through those who are wealthier in society have a greater responsibility to share More wealth. that wealth or whatever other way it is. We don't necessarily see that in this. Ec- I mean, I look, we do see a tax, a system of tax, which obviously uh, accumulates, um, yeah. you know, finances to make sure the country, the world goes round, right, basically. Yeah. But we still see so many failings in it. So, yeah. you know, it's an interesting one. But um, for me, you know, um, when it hits me is like, you know, when you're when you're on a journey and you stop at a service station and mm. everything is just ridiculously priced. Double the price, yeah. And, at that, and on that particular occasion, you've got no choice. Mm. Mm. And I feel that that's the biggest issue that when someone's in need, yeah. yeah, when you're in need and someone looks at, someone from, an, someone from a position who can actually help you thinks that, okay, this person's in, yeah, like, uh, okay, I've got uh, this real opportunity here to make money mm. because this guy's got no choice. Uh, let, let's squeeze him squeeze him mm. so that is that mentality like we, are, we we learn in our religion like like for your brother what you like for yourself mm. meaning if I need something maybe my neighbouring people needs it maybe someone else might be needed rather than me saying okay guys let's share this it's like I best not tell anyone let me make an opportunity of this mm. so it, again it's all about what you give 
I feel the root of this is greed. Greed. It's money. Like it's. Um, and I think you were mentioning the like need, like the history of money as well. But it's when you when you adore that and you think money is the be all and end all of anything. This is what like will give me respect. It would allow me to live. It would allow me to feel all my desires. This is what will give me true happiness. Mm. That's when you have this mentality. But is it? Is it? <coughs> is it always greed though? Because someone who's grown up in this society maybe looking around and stopping in those service stations and seeing my dad can't afford this and going to these places and thinking I'm unable to have this. So when they grow up, they think actually for me to survive in this world, yeah. I need to put an interest into accumulating wealth. But, there's ne- yeah, but I've never come across someone that said, okay, I've got enough money. True. Yeah. And and, and there was this, literally I was just watching a program yesterday where someone, op- someone, uh, it was a, someone presented opportunity for someone that listen you're very wealthy here's a business opportunity and he's like well what makes you think I need money and the guy in reply just said well you never have enough money and that was enough to persuade the guy that okay well if I can get more money then so it's always that that mindset but but it's always that mindset that when's enough like when you have Shams, I think in your point there, yeah. If it's an individual, I think what how I read, how I understood Bud's point is more from like corporations. As an individual, if you understand that, look, this is expensive. I'm I'm at a service station now. I'm thirsty. My parents can't afford a drink for me. Now I need to grow up to work hard to accumulate wealth so that I understand. So I know because I know how difficult it is. That's completely fine from my perspective. I understand that completely. But I feel like the issue comes from the top down, where organisations and corporations and states have made it so difficult to survive or to live. Um, where you feel like I need to start accumulating more, accumulating, accumulate more. Yeah. You know what? If you look deeper into it, it becomes such a cycle because if corporations have made it so expensive for you, that motivates a young child or a, a, a teenager to start working harder to earn more. They're yeah. now earning more, which along with that become, becomes a lifestyle. Mm. They now present that lifestyle all over social media. Now other people are seeing that lifestyle. They need to start living up to that appearance and it just goes on and on and on and on. But and the, so, it, one of the issues issues with this and it goes back to <coughs> when we started talking about need versus uh, want, want. Yeah. but is that for example now let's use that same scenario where someone sees that their family can't afford something mm-hmm. but we're like we're used to so much luxury that element of hard work sometimes can translate into you doing something wrong so looking for easy money and then you get involved in drugs crime things that you shouldn't but the result is the same that you're earning now and no longer can you say, well, I can't afford this because, well, you can, but you don't realize the um, the effects of your decisions and the, 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 the whatever you've got yourself involved with, the effect it has on your morals. That's what I feel with these things, that is that the, everyone's experiences can translate to different results. Yeah. For example, like you said, the same example where someone sees that, okay, well, you know what, I still remember like that one time. I, I don't want this feeling of not being able to buy water, so I'm going to work hard. Mm-hmm. And then you go and work hard, you put yourself in education, you really struggle, and then you achieve something. But then on the other end, some people might actually fold. Okay, yeah. I don't want this feeling. I need to do something now. And then their now is actually getting involved in the wrong thing. So there are so many different, like it's has to be a right balance of how do we stop uh, or how do we promote a society where we actually care for one another mm. and we actually try to fulfill each other's needs rather than we try to just always look for opportunities where we can think about me first and then worry about anyone else? 
Yeah. I think um, just on the sort of state uh, intervention um, in the book, as I mentioned, the economic system of Islam, you know, discusses the hereafter that for Muslims, there's something yeah. to come, right? So we we have an obligation towards one another because we believe that we're accountable to we're accountable and we will be held accountable and I'll just read a, from the book um, the state intervention is deemed essential for putting in place certain safeguards against harming the weakest sections of society uh, while while individual freedom is deemed essential for a healthy competition among individuals and for enabling them to make provisions for the life hereafter individuals are given full opportunity to voluntarily serve humanity and earn merit in the life hereafter. Individual freedom thus opens up endless possibilities of progress through the force of healthy competition. It should, and, it, and I, uh, I'll move on a little bit. Um, it should now be easy to understand that the religions that believe in the hereafter in general and Islam in particular do not view the issue in simple economic terms, but from a religious, moral, and economic perspective. Religion does not seek a purely economic solution because such a solution might interfere with the moral and religious aspect of life, which would be unacceptable. So this is... Um, actually, I'll, I'll just finish that bit off. A non-believer is, of course, free to view economic problems in isolation. Um, but a religious person would not judge an economic system from purely an economic perspective. He would demand an economic system that also respects his moral and religious requirements. Yeah. It is so interesting because, you know, like we mentioned at the beginning of this show that we, as Muslims, we're kind of, we through our experiences, we learn that actually we can't hold our child dearer to God. Yeah. And I feel this is no different, like with wealth, you can't hold it as the most dearest thing to you and without it, you're nothing. Because ultimately in the Quran, God Almighty says that, you cannot attain true righteousness until you sacrifice what is most dear to you. And the reality is in this day and age, the thing one of the things that is most dear to us is our wealth. It's also time, honor. Like these are two, three things that can really impact people's lives. Your wealth, time and honor. Yeah. So that's why we're encouraged to actually sacrifice this for the greater good for God's sake because I know that there are those who require it and when it comes to spending uh, I'll read another verse in the Holy Quran God Almighty states um, in chapter 25 verse uh, 68 and those who when they spend are neither extravagant nor niggardly but adopt a moderate position in the middle so that that's and in a nutshell such a beautiful thing that we don't and that's just not in finance but that's in every way of life that we are not on either ends of the extreme where we do something so much or we don't do something at all spend what you need don't be extravagant but don't be um, don't spend less where you're so paranoid and oh, no, I can't spend this is too much like spend the moderate amount that helps you get by and fulfills your needs and the needs of those around you and think when you do that and you keep in mind that actually small things like like for your brother what you like for yourself these are small things uh, in fact there's another narration of the holy prophet where he states do not be jealous of one another do not raise your prices to harm each other and do not bid on deals that are closed instead you should live like servants of god and be brotherly to one another like these are small pearls of wisdom yeah that if you adapt into your life 
you would see a huge change in society if everyone was thinking in the same way but because the majority of people like one decision of someone having an opportunity to make money can affect so many people and when it affects so many people everyone reacts in their own way that we don't know the chain reaction that it has and what people might do to actually fulfill that particular need just just as you mentioned a couple of religious sort of points um it is related is uh, you know related that the um Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, taught this prayer to be saved from debt. Oh Allah, instead of unlawful wealth, make the lawfully earned wealth sufficient for us. With your blessings, make us independent of everyone except yourself. I think this is one of the key sort of things we want sort of listeners to take away, which is what we've said about living within your means. Make it so that what you earn is enough for you with you know just removing those certain desires to just accept the the limitations that have been placed upon you through your sort of earning potential at that time but just live within those means yeah uh, and this is what you know our prophet has taught us that pray like genuinely pray to god that allow what i have be enough for me you know, this is something that I've been taught from sort of a very young age as well. Um, that always sort of pray that whatever you you get is is enough for you. One, so that you're not given you know too much where it takes you away spiritually. But secondly, so you can sort of live within sort of your means. Yeah, and I think that's such a powerful prayer as well. And the fact that it said lawful worth as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a yeah good good sort of. It's um, not to get me like worth from anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that it, it, these are things. I think ultimately, again, like you, your take on this topic will be based on your experience. Hmm. And I feel like it's um, obviously everyone's entitled to their opinion, but it's for me on a personal level, as like a an imam for the community, a life devotee. We devote our lives knowing that you don't devote your lives to become rich or to attain substantial wealth. Or to make huge savings You do it to win the pleasure of God And just to serve Ultimately with that biggest comfort Like you mentioned right at the beginning That the biggest comfort is That we know that this life here that we're living is temporary And whatever we do in this life Will be accountable for in the next And that's the wealth that I want That's what I think sometimes That if I want to be wealthy It's not in this life Because this life is temporary Hmm. I want eternal wealth in the next life where I can really enjoy and yeah if that means I've got a sacrifice in this life then so be it but here's the beauty of the thing like we say this like sacrifice your wealth for the pleasure of God and what does God promise us in return that if you sacrifice I'll give you 10 times back like if you sacrifice I'll give you 7 times like there's so many examples where God is saying that it's just about having that faith because it's a, it's like that sometimes when you have it's that same example you gave if you've got 100 pound in your account and uh, you decide, you know what? I've done all my expenses this year. This hundred pound that's left is sorry. This particular month, this hundred pound that left is basically just I have a savings, or if I want to spend on something, I'll spend majority of this in charitable causes, or I'll give it to as a form of charity in some shape or form. Someone that might need it, without thinking that yeah. But what would happen about me? There's so many examples where God blesses that individual. 
like to a level where you're just you're left like speechless because you realize that actually where you have that faith of actually do you know what no one because I have firm faith that there's a God and I believe in him and I've got a living relationship with him and I know he said that if you financially sacrifice knowing that the value of money is nothing in my life like it comes and goes there might be months where I get more of it there might be months where I don't get enough but I have faith that whatever I get is enough and God will bless me and there are so many accounts that we can speak about I know we've run out of time where people have actually experienced this where they give it it's crazy because um even those people in less fortunate countries are get, are we talking about wealth wealth for us means money but in certain areas it's not it's possession of things mm. um i'll give you an example like in africa i can't remember the country but there was a particular in this area of this country there was some sort of illness spreading amongst uh, the animals especially the farming animals and a lot of them were dying and word had got out that there's one particular farm where his animals aren't affected hmm. so less all the farmers got together and said look let's go visit that farmer and um see what it is maybe he's put something in the feed he's doing something different why are all of our animals dying and his are not they went and visited him and the guy said listen i'm not putting anything in the feed there's nothing i'm giving them extra that you're not the only difference is what i do is that out of my animals um the one that's valued the most I always sacrifice him and give him the the money that I make from that I give to charity. And I feel that God blesses my my kind of uh, business in that form. So that's like an example that's his wealth for him, like his possession of animals. So again there are many examples even in this country where people give because people need it. Um but yeah, it's one of those things. It's like another example that comes to my mind. It's like uh, there's a narration in which the Holy Prophet narrates a, a story essentially of God asking man in the next life that I was hungry and you never fed me and the servant replies to God God how could I feed you your God he goes no it wasn't me but my creation was hungry and on this particular occasion when they asked you you never fed them <coughs> similarly so God, then, God then asks well I was thirsty and you never quenched my first servant replies that God you're God how can I quench your thirst he said no it wasn't me but my, my creation was thirsty and, and when they asked you you never quenched their thirst so like again these are those things that we're for us like you can either see it as an opportunity to make money or you, on the other hand you can see it as, a, as an opportunity to serve and through that service out of love of God not only are you your connections getting stronger and your bonding and link with God is getting stronger but also your serving God's creation and making society as a whole a better place yeah yeah I think it's uh, you're, you're, you're completely right There's, there are so many powerful uh, incidents of where man has sort of you know where an individual or one has presented uh, something to support another you know whether that you know even particularly through sort of financial um, sacrifice and what you know how he has been blessed and as you say wealth isn't just a financial thing you know for uh, especially in the day and age we live in now the biggest wealth is probably satisfaction within your heart right this contentment yeah. that you can yeah. live with and you can be sort of pleased and happy i think just to just to end it um on that with with, with just about a minute to go i'll, I'll, I'll 
you might have something to say, but it's just from uh, something I had from uh, chapter 25, verse 68 of the Quran, where it says, And those who, when they spend, are neither extravagant nor niggardly, but adopt a moderate position in the middle. I think this is Islam's principle that, you know, you're not forbidden to enjoy, or you're not forbidden to gain and to succeed, but ultimately there is another side to it. Um, there is another side, and and that is to also sacrifice, as we've just discussed in the last few minutes, and, and, and to help those who are in critical need as well. And as you said, where, where God is questioning, why didn't you give to me when I required it, is to highlight that actually it's not just about you as an individual, but also the man, your fellow being, which which is so critical to live amongst and live with. And actually, I think, you know, you, you see how important it is to make sure that everyone sort of within society is living sort of along those same lines, um, you know, with enough sort of food and, and finances available. So I think that's where I think we'll end it, where Islam yeah. says, you know, this is um, the middle ground. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us on this show. Thank you for those who listened. Please join us again for next edition of Saturday Morning Live.